All right, happy Independence Day to those of us in the United States. And welcome to the Board Game Mechanics. Thankfully, we're not recording this on Independence Day. Otherwise, all you would hear are fireworks in the background. Um, it, we live in Ohio, and they just recently passed up an, a, a law that fireworks are actually legal here now. They used to not be. So uh, everybody is getting into the spirit already. And while I'm not maybe that patriotic... I am that excited about board games. So I am Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, guys, what's going on? It is Jason. And we are doing, I don't know, is this like a holiday edition? Maybe. I guess. We probably should have thought ahead and maybe done, like, something with freedom <laughs> or America or, you know, red coats or something as the theme. <laughs> the game we will talk about is Founding Fathers, the end. <laughs> uh, that's true. That would work. That would work. Oh, if only we had planned ahead better. Hmm. I was pretty like, that's okay. what you, I mean, yeah, that's that what you get from Pretty Okay Podcast. We don't think about stuff like that. I mean, we clearly did think about it. Just, <laughs> just right now, as we're recording. <laughs> Whoops. Our bad. Ooh, Revolution. That'd also be another good one. I think that we really need, like, a Boston Tea Party-themed game. Where's that? I think there is really? one, actually. It's like a big, heavy, like... 18xx type game i'm pretty sure i keep wondering if i'd like those type games i'm not sure i like them but I, again we just talked about this earlier that i don't really want to play a game for four hours so that's my only drawback to those i think and i do like i since i'm an rpg or like i'm okay with playing a four-hour game so if it's about the dawson tea party i think that would be cool hmm. I think there are a lot of 18xx games that would probably fit this, but I mean, they're 18xx, that means they're after the revolution, so that's not really what we're looking for. That's true. We could make Black Orchestra fit. No. Yes, it's about America killing some Nazis. It's not about Independence Day. We have freedom because we America have, killed some like, Nazis. We have D-Day and VJ Day <laughs> and like BE Day. Like That's not the same thing as the 4th of July. I'm just trying to make it work, okay? Sorry, it's not going to happen. Maybe there needs to be like, or maybe like a, a Betsy Ross themed one where you're trying to get the flag made. I don't think she was actually the one that really made the flag we went with, but. Um, I'm, I'm sure the, I'm sure GMT, the company that does a lot of war games, has games that would fit in this category. Yeah. Like there should be one like called Oh Say Can You See and it'll be like Francis Scott Key writing the, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I've derailed. Let's let's maybe talk about news. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start the news section with a couple factoids about board game hobby, about the board game hobby, learn to talk, but not really necessarily about board games. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that BGG Con, Board Game Geek Con, has been canceled. Mm. I mean, that should come as no surprise to anybody. All the other cons have been canceled, so it was just a matter of time until they made it an, the announcement official, I think. So that's things if you're planning on going to that and you live in Texas. Yeah. Well, Texas has been a pretty serious hot spot, so. That is true. Yeah, that could be part of the reason why they felt like they needed to announce it now. Uh, and then to go along with, I mean, it's not really con related, but Stronghold Games, their founder and president, Stephen Bonacore has decided that he is going to retire. Mm -hmm. So that announcement just dropped the date that we recorded this podcast. And there was some mention in the article about a few people stepping in to take the roles, but I don't know if they're official yet, but I just read them. Uh, one of the people is, I think, the president of Indie, uh, Indie Boards and Cards because they kind of did a merger right. a couple years ago or last year. And another one is either the daughter or the wife of a board game like designer and like podcaster his name's jeffrey Engelstein or Engelstein, and the girl's name is sydney so i'm not sure if it's his wife or his daughter or sister or whatever but those are some of the names that were floating around to kind of fill his shoes hmm. so that'll be sad for stronghold and hopefully they can find somebody with as much energy and spunk as yeah Steven. he his name is around all the time like he was really involved not just like as some kind of far off Kind of president or whatever, but super involved in the hobby. So I hope that'll continue because I think that's really helped make Stronghold Games what they are. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily like a ton of their games, but he has definitely brought that company as one of the big players for sure. So hopefully they can keep up their momentum to get some more good Euros and all that stuff to America. And that's what we care about. (laughs) Good Euros. Euros. Uh, However, my Kickstarter choices, I don't know that any of them are (laughs) Euros, if I'm being honest. Um. My first one is a little game that I thought was really cute called Fox on the Run. It's by Bizarre Games. <laughs> yeah. But and this is actually um, a game where there's only two factions, which I think is kind of interesting. So it's two to four players. So I imagine that if you have more than two players, you're going to pick teams. And then and they're talking about a Kickstarter expansion for you can play, where you can play up to six. So you've got Foxes versus Guardians. Um, and each of the factions has like a different win condition. And so you've got like this forest set out with tiles that are flipped over. And then you've got these different little characters that have different powers. Like they can swap tiles around. Um, they can reveal face down tiles. Oh, this reminds me of a game and I cannot remember what it is to save my life. I feel like we've played it recently. Um, but each of these different little characters like there's a wolf, there's a badger, and there's two these two little foxes, um, and they each have different abilities to kind of manipulate these tiles, flip these tiles around, those kind of things. Um, but you're working against each other, and each uh, there's even extra like characters that are getting unlocked through the Kickstarter game. But um, it's you're finding paths through the forest. Um, you're like killing your opponents. You know, it's just that basic kind of um, like two faction back and forth kind of game, trying to outsmart the other and get your win condition. The artwork looks really neat. Um, it's I, I like the way they did the colors. So there's 12 days left on the Kickstarter. If that sounds like something that you like, like a kind of a tug of war, maybe just a strictly, I would probably place it two players, um, two player game. It's only $21 for the base game. And I think with the base game, you even get like some shaped meeples for the four characters, which you know I am all about. So that's Fox on the Run. Yeah, as a general rule, uh, I think any game that says it can be played at four when there's only two factions clearly is a two-player game, but they're trying to tag on that extra two people to make, make it have more appeal. That's my thought. Well, I think part of it is like, for each faction has these two characters. So you technically could have one person uh, for each faction moving one of the characters. And so there there are up to six characters that can be unlocked, I think, in the Kickstarter. So I guess, yes, so it's like you're on the same team, but you're controlling a character with a certain power. So this seems like a little bit easier to expand. But your forest tiles, you're looking at probably like a five by five squares. That's not really, for me, a lot of space. Right. For people to move around. Many, many people move around. It's going to cause some uh, some tight quarters and some battling, it sounds like. I don't think you actually fight, but you're looking for certain things in the tiles and manipulating them or whatever. So it looks, I think it looks it looks pretty neat. Artwork's good. And it's not like a really high price point. So especially if you're looking for a good two-player, this looks like it might be a nice little Kickstarter to get into. Fox on the Run, 12 days, 21 bucks. Cool. My next one is also following my animal theme. And this is actually a game from Japan. And it's adorable. It's called Yura Yura Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Is that supposed to be like a play on words? I don't know. It's possible. My Japanese is a little rusty. Um, but this is a game that I would probably never play because it's a dexterity game. But it is adorable. So you are playing cards onto this an iceberg. Well, you're it's not only cards, but yes, you're going to start out by playing cards. It has that rhino hero type of feel where you play a card and the person after you then has to do whatever that card says. So maybe stack an iceberg. Um, there's also these little wooden pe- penguin figures. There's these like little crystal like gem type things that you can put on there. There's ice. Um, there's actual, you know, bits of iceberg that you're stacking up. Like, the artwork is really pretty. I expect nothing less um, from this Japanese game company. Like, it's just really, it's bl- these blues and whites. And there's, like, 
glitter on the cards to make it really feel like it's an iceberg. And so you start with like an iceberg base in the center, and then um, you have these sea cards around. Everyone has a hand of cards, and you're trying to play all the cards out of your hands and be able to do the actions that the person in front of you gives without knocking over the icebergs, the ice rocks, and the penguins. Um, and some of the, like, in the deluxe edition, some of their, like, extra, like, stretch goals, you can get, like, these polar bears. They have, like, different shaped penguin meeple for, one, like, a different character penguin for all the four ones. Oh, they're so cute. This actually looks awesome. I really like Rhino Hero, and this one sounds really good. I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah, it's it's very much like Rhino Hero, just with a different theme. It's with penguins, and uh, I know some of my friends who are obsessed with penguins. I am not because they're birds, and I don't do birds. Sorry, sorry. I know some people love birds on here. I'm sorry. But what about the the cute little baby penguin meeple? I know the baby one? penguin meeple is so cute. <laughs> it's like happy feet all over again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. Okay, if I could get the deluxe edition, shoot, I'd be in. And the polar bears are cute. Oh, they're so cute. But there's 21 days left on that Kickstarter. It's only 24 bucks, and there's a lot of cards there. There's some, like, little iceberg-shaped stackable things. Um, there's these gem-like ice rocks, and you've got your penguins. So if you like dexterity games or you have kids that like that or you're into penguins, I think this is a great one to check out. That's Yura, you're a penguin, Y-U-R-A. 21 days, 24 bucks. I'm going to heart this one because I may back this one. I like. Are you this. serious? I'm serious. I, I like Rhino Hero a lot. Don't get the standard. I want the baby penguin one, the deluxe. I mean, I might not back it, but I am going to heart it because then, then I can, you know, decide 48 hours left. The deluxe is only $24 plus shipping and it has the baby penguins and the polar bear and it's only limited to the first 35. What if we miss out? It's probably already gone. And there's, well, there's one that's deluxe, but it's 28 bucks. Oh, I got you. So it's, it just gets a little more expensive. Those penguins are cute. Yeah. All right. And last, speaking of cute. Oh my gosh. This game is cute. And it's put out by Jelly Bean, which we like all their stuff. And it's called French Toast. Yeah, toast. Uh, so French Toast has the premise, like it's built like a party game. So it has this premise that... Aliens come to Earth, and the first thing that they discover is French toast. So then when anyone tells them about anything new on Earth, they ask, is it like French toast? So that's like this, you're answering that question. So one person is like, they call it the Toastmaster, and they get like the word that everyone's trying to guess. You can do it cooperatively, or you can do it competitively. Um, so the catch is that the person who's Toastmaster, they can only like communicate and give you hints by repeating guesses back to you. So they've got this secret word. And then every time someone makes a guess, if they think the guess is closer to like the, the word they're trying to guess, they will, um, the first guess is always French toast. They will repeat back the guess if it is closer. If it's not closer, they repeat the previous guess. So if the secret word is salsa and every, the first guess is French toast, and so I would say French toast. The next person would say, I don't know, breakfast. And I would say French toast. So like as a Toastmaster, you have to decide, okay, are we getting closer? Are people like clever enough to kind of go with, you know, it's like a hot and cold kind of game. So it's just really cute. The artwork is cute because the French toast is stinking adorable. Um, I just, it's smiley French toast. Like, it's just the cutest thing <laughs> it ever. It is kind of cute. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's got little hands. It's just little, and there's some hints cards too that you can use, which is nice because it is like a really vague. So like the person who's the Toastmaster will like kind of prepare hints. So it's like you get six cards and you can say, okay, is or is not to kind of help them narrow it down a little bit. So hopefully that that can help you some. But it seems like just kind of a fun, like interesting little party game. Um, it has 13 days left on Kickstarter and it's 19 bucks. And they said for every $1,000 they raise, they're gonna add more cards to the deck. Um, they're gonna add another card. So there's the opportunity for it to get bigger and bigger and so you get lots of cards with it 
Um, so that's French toast. 13 days, 19 bucks. Yeah, this is a game, all right. Uh, it's not... It, <laughs> I was like, I know you will never play this. It's not Yuri Yuri Penguin, but... <laughs> <laughs> it is a game. Well, no. Yeah, I think, for me, like, a, ling- a linguistic person, I think it would be really fun, but... Well, I mean... I can see where you wouldn't like it. Yeah, everybody's played that hot and cold game anyway, so that's pretty familiar. So it's kind of genius actually taking that, you know, stupid hot and cold game and turning it into... A game with cute art and actually some rules around it. Yeah, I agree. Yep. So it looks. I think it looks fun. If you like that kind of game, or you're looking for something simple that you can play with like all ages, really. You know, you're having a family get together with you know a limited number of people and you're social distancing. This might be fun. Or actually, this one would be a really kind of easy one to do online like over zoom but you just ha- would only have one toastmaster if you didn't have multiple copies of it but yeah i know it's, it seems cool that's french toast cool and that's all my news all right so we finally did it we finally broke the three games that we both played and we have <laughs> one that we each played by ourselves and one that we played together we did it. Yeah, it was. I w- I've been really busy, so finishing up my last quarter for teaching and getting ready to start a new one. So we have not played as many games together as normal. Yeah. So Katie is going to talk about the first game, and it's going to be a story about rolling dice. So I'll let her take it from there. There isn't that much dice rolling, actually. So Jason would never play this game. It's called Forgotten Waters, and gosh, I probably should have looked up the publisher and the designer it's i don't pla- know it's plaid hat that. games i know that okay yeah it's plaid hat um so forgotten waters is kind of is a storytelling game and and jason was like oh i won't like those games because i feel like they don't have any rules the thing about forgotten waters is it does have a lot more structure than i think a lot of storytelling games do so you're all pirates and there's like i don't know 30 or something different pirates that you can choose from and they're all like have some kind of reference to their background there's a, a lovesick pirate. There is a debater pirate. Um, one of our friends was the safety pirate, so he was really concerned about everyone's safety on the boat, which was hilarious. Did, did Chris pick the debate debater one? No, he was the safety pirate. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It was like him and his card sleeves. It was all about the, the safety of the ship. That makes it sense. Was, yeah, it was, it was pretty hilarious. I think he got like a special card draw... Um, that was like a safety vest. <laughs> but he could, he could wear it, they could discard it to distract something or whatever. Um, and so what you do is you each have, you choose a background character and then um, you get these sheets that you have almost like a Mad Lib to fill out about your character's background. And then there's a constellation. And so every time that you hit certain um, like levels in the game for your different uh, attributes, you can mark off a constel- mark off like this little a little part of your constellation, and then there are these constellation story points that when you fill up to, you get to read a part of your background. And it, um, if you read so many of those, you get like the good ending. Um, but it's an adventure, so you there's di- and there's different adventures. Um, some of my friends had played one without me, and then I had joined in, and so they can be played independently, which is nice. They're kind of episodic, and um, we were. I wonder. I don't know how much I can say. But spoiler, like. No, we don't. We don't hide spoilers here. Say what you want. Um, we were we were trying to talk to the Bird King, and that was our goal. And so you have these pages in this book where you actually place your figures onto the page to choose your actions. So um, there's a turn order based on how infamous you are as a pirate. So if you're really mean and like make the crew scout for themselves, like your infamy goes up. Um, so there are actions to choose from. Some actions you have to do, and they'll be in red, and then other actions are your choice. Um, you, maybe to increase your attributes, maybe to help you find more supplies for the ship, uh, gain more crew members, or um, there are actions that progress the story, either between you and your captain, um, or you and like the overarching storyline. And some of them are battles, some of them are just like, at a port some of them are at open sea and there's a really great app that accompanies it that reads things to you that tells you where to go that it's i felt like it was really easy to navigate entering in like the different um scenario numbers so it tells you what 
what's happening. Then you make these choices. And some of the choices in the story are are really intriguing. Like, oh, am I going to eavesdrop in on this conversation that I hear happening? Or am I not? Um, am I going to take this thing? Or am I going to, you know, leave it for someone else? Like, just uh, some really interesting choices. And you're deciding, what is my character going to do? And how they shape the story. And it can be a little, it can be lengthy, but it was really fun. And we only actually got halfway through this particular episode. Um, and it's nice to give you kind of a stopping point so we can pick back up later. Uh, so it's really fun. If you like story, and, and I think that this could be played even by like younger, um, like upper elementary school kids, because it is very defined on, okay, here we, we make a choice on what's going to happen. And yeah, it's, I would say it's cooperative, but there are chances for you to be a traitor. I mean, you're a pirate. So you can uh, just decide, forget this. I'm going to go off and do what I want. I'm going to betray my crew. I'm going to steal stuff from them. But if you lose, you can, you all lose. Uh, so there's a very delicate balance there. So um, it's a great way, I think, to get younger type people into, like, it's a very light rpg so even introducing those concepts and if you like storytelling and i love pirates so i really like forgotten waters yeah <laughs> i know jason like avoided playing this like the plague yeah i i mean it the components are nice i looked at it i came out and watched you guys play it for like 47 seconds and then i came back and played a real game oh but gosh. it looks really nice like the book is cool the thing that holds the cards or whatever that was yeah. Looked really neat. That was, that I mean it looks awesome on the table. I'll give it that. Yeah, the components are great. The artwork is really nice. Um and like funny things happen. Like you just get funny stuff like uh there was some kind of bad seas and it's like, "Oh, we ro you roll to resolve." And it's like, "Okay, no one got hurt." Oh, except the Cooper, which happened to be one of our friends at the table. But it's okay. Nobody really liked her anyway. And so and then I like got some treasure and one of them was this curse book and a book of curse words so every time someone surpassed me in the infamy track like i would get a benefit and then i could just curse at them so it's it's just there's a lot of fun lighthearted stuff with it um so it's a, just very easy to pass the time play you're really rolling very not very often just for some skill checks depending on what you choose as your action um but yeah it's great i liked it i'm sorry you didn't honey well, it's not that I didn't like it. Yes, I haven't you refuse to play it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I wouldn't like it, but yes, I, I have no opinion on it right now. <laughs> All right. So moving on to a game that we both played just yeah. a couple days ago, and this is going to be the big brother to a game we've talked about before called Rice Dice, and this one's called Spirits of the Rice Patty by our boy PDB, Philip Berry, and the company I think is Ape Games, A-P-E. Okay, so it didn't sound like that's what I said. And what you're doing in this game is you are rice farmers from Bali, I think. And you're trying to win favor of these spirits to make sure you can grow the best rice. Better rice than your opponents. And the spirits are pretty friendly because they're going to help you out and they're going to give you some crazy good powers. Mm -hmm. But what that really boils down to is you're going to be playing some cards that have really cool powers on them. But the higher the number, the better the card. And that means you're not going to be able to go first in each round so you're trying to juggle when you're going to play the good cards if you want to play low cards and go first every round and then once you sort all that out you're going to be getting some water you're going to flip a card it's going to give you some water maybe some weeds some pests so on and so forth and then you're going to use your little workers and maybe some ducks or some cows that you have to try to remove rocks eat some weeds build some walls around your patty so you can have you know more patties to harvest you're going to harvest, you're going to plant, you're going to de-weed, or whatever that's called. And then you're going to try to just be the person that has the most rice at the end of the game. Uh, so I, I like this. We've tried to play it, I think, one other time before. And I've tried to play it solo before, and I couldn't do it. But I think this time we actually played it 95% correct. <laughs> and, and I enjoyed it. I may like Rice Dice a little better because it's faster and less convoluted. But I did enjoy this. So what do you think about this one? I really like this one. I mean, I like rice dice also. Um, I just like the colors that are used. And it's 
like almost so simplistic in its design that it has you would think it's an abstract game but i think the theme is really clear through this and that's what i really like is like okay you have to get water in because you have to flood the patty before you plant it and that's true when you plant rice and then in order to harvest it you have to get the drain the patty and you know ducks are going to come and eat bugs and after and they come eat bugs they're going to poop and poop is fertilizer and that helps make your rice better like I just think that that's really cool. I like how all those different mechanisms work together. I might like this better than rice dice just because I felt like I could really, I don't want to say engine build, but um, play the cards that I thought would benefit me the longest early, even if it meant I went second probably most, almost all of the game, um, but I also whooped your butt pretty good. Uh, because I felt like I did. Yep. I could benefit myself and and build kind of the patty structure that I wanted to to get the most points. So I really liked it a lot. I think it's super fun. Yeah, I liked it. I I think the only reason I may like rice dice better is one, the rule book is clearer, and I could learn how to play it on the first try. Yeah. And two, I like rolling dice a lot, and I feel like the actions in that one don't make me like. Give me AP as much. That's true. So it kind of gives me the same feel. Yeah, I might like Spirits of the Rice Patty better because it's a bigger, you know, deeper game. But I think if I was going to pull one out, I'd probably put Rice Dice on the table first because it's faster and kind of gives me the same feel. Well, and then I also think like if you, I think they're both worth owning. But if you start with Rice Dice and get to kind of see the basic flow of what happens and like the cycle of plant flooding the flooding, planting, weeding, um, draining, harvesting, then I think Spirits of the Rice Petty flows even better for you to play. Oh, 100%. I totally agree. After we played Rice Dice, Spirits of the Rice Petty made way more sense with the whole water flowing piece. Yeah, and that's the hardest part. Because that part is awful. Yeah, it was hard to get my head around. Yep, it's a good game. And this last game you played without me, even though you keep talking about me playing it, but... Since you wouldn't play Forgotten Waters, you went off and played Terraforming Mars without me. I did, and this was a considerably better game than Forgotten Waters, No, in my opinion. You can't know that. I don't know that, but I'm going to say. I'm going to make an uneducated opinion, <laughs> which is what I'm going to say right now. Terraforming Mars is better than Forgotten Waters, but what we're doing in Terraforming Mars, if you don't know and you've been living under a rock, because um, Terraforming Mars is like the fifth or sixth best, most popular game on BGG. And this is a game where you're going to be playing cards down under the table, kind of like doing some tableau building and some engine building. And you're using those cards to also put greenery on Mars to to up the oxygen. You're going to be putting water on Mars to just score points. And you're going to be increasing the heat on Mars to make it able to be lived on to terraform so you can have, you know, life. And uh, the interesting thing is some of the cards are going to increase some of your other tracks. So, like, I may spend money on this card because you have different kinds of resources. You have steel, I think, space, I don't know, titanium. I don't know what they are. I certainly don't. And then mega credits, which is money. And you're trying to use those resources to get cards down on the table that are going to manipulate your tracks to make it higher when you get income. So you're going to have more stuff to use to play more cards in a future round. So we played this at four, and we didn't use the starting setup of cards. We put all the cards in because there's a recommended starting setup that keeps some of the non-pertinent cards, which mean the cards that are not directly related to doing greenery, water, (sighs) or heat out of the game. But we just put them all in and played it, and it went for about three hours at four players. So... I like this game. I like the mechanisms. The board's terrible. Uh, all the art is awful. The <laughs> gameplay's fun, and but it goes on a little too long for me. So it looks boring and hideous, so I like it. But it's a little too long. And I think you might like this one because of the, the Tableau engine building type thing, and you're really good at that stuff. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this one, and I've always been hesitant to play it because, well, it's space. And I hate space games. And I know that's dumb. I know it seems completely superficial. And I'm trying, Chris, I'm trying to play games that 
I'm not immediately attracted to. And because I got crap about it because he's like, I thought your New Year's resolution was to play games, you know, not judge games and play them. Which if he knew how many games I did want to play, <laughs> he would know that I am keeping my New Year's resolution. So uh, <laughs> I just don't audibly say the ones that I don't want to play. So I think, I mean, I'm willing to give it a try just because, because um, I really do, I do love tableau building, engine building games. Um, and so despite its space theme, which is cool, and artwork, which is bleh, I think I'd give it a go just because it's so popular. And I feel like in order to be a better, well-rounded gamer, I should try it. It it really is fun. Like I enjoyed it. I wish it. I kind of wish it was a different theme, like farming or something. But yeah, I mean, I don't care about the way things look or anything. But the mechanisms are really fun, so you should definitely play it. And speaking of that mechanism in Terraforming Mars, that leads us to our feature for this podcast. And tonight we want to talk about our favorite. Engine Builders. FYI, Terraforming Mars will not be on this list because I've not played it. <laughs> and neither will Spirits of the Rice Paddy. <laughs> and neither will Spirits of the Rice Paddy because I just happen to play it like an engine. That's not really how it goes. Um, so my first game I want to talk about is Ugly. It's all of those things that I was just... It's not in space, but um, it's a hideous game. Um, but it is so good. And that is London. And for me... Oh, yeah. Good game. Uh, a lot of people might say that, oh, London's hand management. But you're putting what's in your hand out into your engine to run it. Um, so to me, it's an engine builder. And if you haven't played London or you haven't heard us talk about London, um, London's a game where you get these cards and you are trying to play these cards down into your, to your tableau. For every card that you play, you must discard another card of the same color in order to pay for that card to enter your city, which is your tableau. And then whenever you decide your city can be as big as you want it to be, you can then run your city. And so all of the um, text on the cards fire. And some of the, and they do all kinds of things. Give you money. They might cost money. They might cost cards. They might help you get rid of cards that you don't want. Um, they might just give you straight victory points. Um, they might take away poverty. But in the end, they're all going to generate poverty. And poverty is negative points. So you want to keep your poverty to a minimum. So having a big city does generate a lot of poverty. But if that engine can get rid of a lot of poverty, you're doing pretty good. And I love that tension with what cards do I keep? What cards do I get rid of? You know, is the cost worth it? There are some cards that will stay in your city after you run it time after time. So those are really great. But, you know, are they going to give you what you need? Or is there a card that's a one-time thing that's going to take away, you know, five poverty? That could be huge for you. Um, so I just, I really love London. It is hideous for sure. I like the first edition because I like the board. The board that's out there, you, it's sort of area control, but it's really another mechanism for controlling poverty. So for me, I don't get that caught up in, oh, having the most area, but it's something else to play into your engine because some cards play off of, the places that you kind of occupy in the map, which I love kind of, you know, building up on those bonuses so that you're using um, those places in multiple ways within your engine. Um, I, I I win this game an awful lot, which may be why I like it so much. But again, it is like pure, like it's just engine building for me at its finest because there's tension in what you're playing, what you're using to pay for it, and then the payoff of what you get when you run the engine versus the negative poverty that you get when you run it. Ah, oh, so good. I love it. So London is my first choice. Yeah, that is a great game. Uh, and yeah, I think it's definitely an engine builder. And I'm just going to say this now. Some of these games probably could be considered other types of games, but we're going to say they're engine builders because at some point in this game, there's some kind of engine that you're going to be running or building to do other things. So I think that's kind of where I'm at with these games. And it seemed like just looking through the list, that's yeah. where we both kind of landed. So that's my first one. All right. So so the first game I'm going to talk about is kind of a weird one. Uh, and by weird, I mean theme and just just weird overall. And it's a Bruno Catala game. There's a co-designer as well, and I can't remember because I'm terrible at 
knowing these things. And it's called Imaginarium. So if you don't know what Imaginarium is, it's a really weird themed game where you're trying to build these machines that are going to be converting types of goods into different types of goods to ultimately convert those types of goods into victory points. And it's essentially a, a, a slow engine builder to try to be the first person to get to 20 points. And the reason that this qualifies to me as engine builder after Katie told me about it <laughs> is um, because what everything you're doing in this game when you're acquiring a card is essentially building an engine. So when I buy a card, first thing I have to do is I have to fix the, the machine to get it into my uh, laboratory or whatever, my research station. And then... Based on what card I pick, there are other cards that can operate with that card to take the good that it's producing to turn it into something else. And in some of these instances, you can have three cards stacked on top of each other to turn one good into like four other ones. Or it's going to convert this one good into a victory point. Or this one good into two victory points. So you're trying to figure out the best way to build these buildings to give you resources that work together and also turn those resources into things that help you get victory points. Yeah, there's worker placement. Yeah, there's some other stuff going on. But a big chunk of this game is the engine building that's going to assist you in your resource management. So my first pick is Imaginarium. Yeah, it's also the, the weird thing about Imaginarium is artwork. <laughs> it's got some it's super weird, weird freaky artwork going on in that place. Yeah, I don't get it. I, it doesn't really matter, but I think it turns some people off to the game too, which is kind of sad because it's just too weird. Yeah, it just has some really interesting worker placement stuff, but you are ultimately building these engines that give you things that are going to help you um, hit your goals. So, yeah, I think it's a good pick. I'm glad I suggested it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's a good pick. You're right. You did a good job. Um, the next pick that I have is a game that we have talked about probably ad nauseum and actually that every board game podcast, Facebook page, etc. has talked about ad nauseum. But it is a good engine builder, and that's Wingspan. I don't know if I need to explain Wingspan to you, but I will. Um, you're collecting birds in your tableau. So you've got birds in the forest, birds in the field, and birds in the water. And so, yes, you're kind of building this collection. Yes, you're managing your hand. But you also really can't be successful with this game if you don't build a good engine with your cards. Um, because every time you take an action in one of those three different environments, you then trigger all the cards um, that have the recurring text, the kind of engine text in that row. And so it behooves you to get cards in there that will fire so that you're getting maybe more eggs for points. You're tucking cards for points. You're generating um, food either as a cash four points or to use then to get more birds that will give you more things. Um, it's, I, I also, I like it a lot because there are different, a lot of different ways to, to build your engine. And so my way, maybe, maybe I'll play and I'll just load up on eggs or like Jason's favorite way is to play with like predatory birds. Cause he wants to cash all those cards behind that bird as much as he can. Um, and it has push your luck. I love push your luck. <laughs> the the yes the predatory birds do push your luck um and and so it's for me it's like whatever comes out i have this challenge of okay how can i build my engine what what birds am i going to play versus the cost again just like london you know is this bird going to give me what i need recurring over these rounds um to help me maximize my points and not in a min max way obviously but you know am, am i going to pay for food of different types of food to get this bird out because it's every turn it's going to give me something okay or do i want one that gives me something on other people's turns like i just i love what's happening here and all the different types of engines that you can build through it so my second choice is wingspan oh yeah i agree with this pick 100 percent. there's four different or three different engines that you're building essentially the the green the yellow and the blue water land air i guess i don't know forest but, is green yeah four yeah yeah, yeah. all birds and go I, to the air that's true all right, so it's yellow, green, and blue, okay? <laughs> you tried so, for theme, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're using the cards in your hand, so yes, there is some hand management, but you're really, the crux of the game is taking actions with your cubes, and you want those actions to be as 
good as possible for what you're trying to do. So you're trying to build the engine in each of those environments so you can maximize your points. So this is 100% an engine building game, and anybody that says it's not is wrong. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so my next game I want to talk about is from our favorite Italians. Woohoo! Uh, they go by many names, and I don't actually know who the designers are of this one. But the game is Lorenzo Il Magnifico. This is not a, an engine building game, you might say. This is a worker placement game. <laughs> and you you would be right, but it also has two engines that you are building in the game. And I wanted to highlight those pieces of this game. So what you're doing in this game, you're using your little workers to go around and get these cards of different colors to do different things on your board. That's a super simplification, but that's kind of what you're doing. And these little pillars that you have represent dice, so it's kind of like a dice placement game. But on your board, there's a military uh, section, which are green cards, and then there's a building section, which are yellow cards. And uh, there's a space on this board where you can go put your little pillar guy and and run those cards based on the value of the die that your pillar is representing. So... Say I have a six and I'm going to that spot with any card in the yellow section that I want to run that's a six or a less, I will be able to run with that action space. So I'm using the engine of yellow cards that I have built and I'm going to be getting goods, points, other like moving up on other tracks, so on and so forth. Every time I go there, all my cards are going to fire if they meet the appropriate number of pips same thing with the military it's just a different spot on the board i'm going to go there functions the same way based on the pips of your pillar guy it's going to run all those cards and give you stuff so that's a big chunk of the game if you're not doing that it's going to be really hard to get resources get money just get enough stuff to do the other parts of the game so yes this isn't specifically an engine building game those two chunks make up a pretty big like section of what you're doing in this game. So I'm going to say Lorenzo Il Magnifico is an engine building game, and I like it. Fight me. <laughs> and that's a Brazzini, Jiggly, Luciani. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the right designers. Right. And Clemens Franz, you know, one of our good old uh, illustrators. Oh, yeah. um, Every Uwe game known to man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I The last couple times we've played this, I have completely failed at the engine building part, and I have subsequently lost, I believe. Be- no, I think I won the last time. Yeah, if, I think you did too. Not, not by, by a lot. lot. And and part of that is because I was like, oh, crap, my engine building is failing. I've got to do something else. I've got to work towards in-game goals or something because I'm totally screwed here. And um, if you can get the right cards in there, it'll help you not to have to go and fight over all these other um, spaces because – it's really tight, your worker placement, because the numbers are changing often on the dice. And so sometimes, and you've got this dummy player who can't go by himself. You gotta send somebody to hold his hand. And, you know, the ability to generate more of those like servants to help people out, to generate um, faith on the faith track so that you don't get excommunicated, um, to be able to just do more in that game. You have um, those two, one at least, even one of those two engines effective. Um, it'll it'll make your winning so much easier. So yeah, I agree with that. Good. All right. So nobody's gonna fight us. We're good. Uh, well, they're gonna fight me on this next one. Uh, my last my last one is a bit of a stretch because I would not say in general this game is an engine builder, but the way that I play this game is to build an engine. Okay, I know that sounds dumb, but hear me out. So the game is Coimbra. Now, at its heart, Coimbra, you know, you're taking dice here. You're then using those dice to purchase cards, and then the cards do things for you. Now, a lot of people will buy the one-time cards or the end-of-game cards, and that's how they play, uh, they play Coimbra. I do not play Coimbra that way. There are cards involved in the C segment of the game that are recurring cards. So every time you play, you move into the C phase of the game, those cards fire. Or sometimes those cards fire when you purchase a particular type of card or color or whatever. 
Um, so when I play Coinbra, I go for those cards. I get a few of them that allow me to kind of focus on certain areas that I want to focus on, and they take care of the rest. Because there are a lot of things to manage in Coinbra. You want to make sure you have enough military. You want to make sure you have enough money. You want to move around the map. You want to move up on the victory point track. Um, you want to move up on the... There's one other track. What's the other track? Points. Well, I said points. Okay, maybe points, that's it. Points, security, income, and moving. Money, military, points, and movement. Okay, so that's that's quite a lot to manage. And so when I play Coimbra, I build an engine. I'm buying cards on every turn. If I take a, an orange die, I'm going to get more money. If I take a green card, I'm going to get a movement. I'm going to get money and move on a track. And there are cards that really allow you to do multiple things if you make one action in that card buying phase. So for me, Coinbra and to some extent Grand Austria Hotel, I play both those games the same way. And that I build an engine so that other things are profiting me over and over again in order to make the game easier to win. I've given away my secret now on how to win Coimbra in Grand Austria Hotel. Build an engine. Yeah, I still won't be able to do it, but... Yeah, I don't know why. I've told you this before, and we'll be playing, and you still will not take the cards. And I'm like, this is the perfect kind of card. Yeah. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Right and here. I've gone over this. I just take cards that are fun for me during the game. So yeah, engine I, building cards are fun. Jason will yell at me because he'd be like, okay, it's Katie's turn now for phase C. you take 12 minutes every single turn. Because I'm moving up on tracks. I'm moving around the board. I'm getting income. I'm doing all of that without having to choose cards that do that for me. But every round, I'm making it happen. That's a good engine. That's what you need to win. Green Officer Hotel, you've got to get guests. You've got to fill their orders. You've got to open rooms and put them in rooms. And you've got to move up on, like, the royal track or whatever. The Emperor Smackdown. The Emperor what track. is his name. Those are a lot of things to do in a limited number of turns. So you've got to get employees that will trigger every round who will either get you people in or help you get stuff or help you open rooms or help you close rooms. Because once you've got that engine going, then you don't have to worry about that part because it's taking care of itself. It's, it's profiting you. That is how you win a game that has all these multi-steps happening at one time. So you play it like an engine. So is this one Coinbra or is it Grand Austria Hotel? <laughs> it's Coinbra. It's Coinbra because I think there's a lot there's a lot more opportunity with those cards to build engines. Whereas in Grand Austria, you only really have um, your guests, the type of guests that you buy to use as part of kind of an, a one-time engine kind of action, and your employees. So I think there's more opportunity for it in Coinbra. So that's why I picked Coinbra. Fight me if you want. You may not play it that way, but that is how I play Coinbra, like an engine builder. I love Coinbra. I, I, you, I, I love think it, it, it has engine building. I just don't play it like that because I don't play any game the correct way, apparently. But, no, I'm not saying that's the correct way. It's just it is very hard to beat me when I build an engine like that. Yeah, so clearly it's the correct way because <laughs> I can't win. You know I don't like that. I don't like saying there's one correct way. No, I know. You, you probably can win that game without building an engine. I just don't know how to do that. Okay. I will figure it out, though, maybe. Yeah, I, I do lose sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Maybe not, not quite, to me. Rob, but yeah, not to you. All right, so my last one is a game that I can win a lot. Oh, and yes. It is kind of an old and busted game at this point because it came out more than a year ago. It's not busted. It's just old. <laughs> and it's called Century Spice Road. Uh, and this is a, a card. It's strictly a card game, and you're collecting little cubes. So I love cubes. And <laughs> what, what you're trying to do in this game is you are using these card, these starting cards that you have in your hand to get cubes, upgrade cubes into better types of cubes to fulfill contracts. That doesn't sound like engine building. But the engine building part comes in when you're using certain cubes to bypass cards in this buying row to get cards that you want to help make your conversions more efficient. Mm -hmm. So unlike a lot of engine building games, the cards aren't actually going down on the table in front of you. You're playing them from your hand. So you're kind of running your engine with some hand management. But to me, this game seems to be more engine building than hand management, but they kind of work together. 
And if you have cards that you've purchased that function well together, you don't need to buy a ton of them. You can run your whole engine on three or four cards. Keep doing it. Keep driving it. Keep converting goods into other goods. Fulfill the amount of contracts. Hit the threshold of a certain amount of contracts, and you're going to win the game. So that's all this game is. I like it a lot. It's super fun. It's super fast. And to me, it feels like strictly an engine building resource management game. So that's why I picked it. Century Spice Road. I might disagree now that we're talking about this because I feel like it's a deck builder. And I think at their heart, all deck builders have this engine-like feel to them. But the cards go away. The cards go away in what? A deck builder or Century Spice Road? So, like, they don't stay out there and continue and function for you like an engine would. They're a one-time use, and then they get revisited. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think this one is different. Like, it's not the normal, you know, I have eight cards down in front of me, and I did this action, so these four are going to fire based on what I did. So it doesn't have that kind of deal, but I feel like I'm doing the engine in my hand. So, yeah, I can, I mean, it might be kind of a stretch, but I'm buying cards that are going to work with other cards that I have to be as efficient as possible. It might be a stretch. It's probably more hand management than engine building, but I play it like an engine builder, so mm-hmm. that's why I put it on there. I can never win this, and I, I it's because I don't know how to work the engine somehow, which is crazy because, again, I just mentioned how so many games I play like engine builders, but I cannot get my engine to work in this one to get the right cards, to get the right cubes, to exchange the right cubes at an efficient rate. Like, it just, I can't do it do it yeah I, I don't know something about this game just clicks for me like i don't know i can i can piece this one together where with other ones i struggle i think maybe if there are like three more tracks and stuff that i'd pay attention to <laughs> i might be able to do better at it I don't know. that's probably true because i get bogged down in the tracks you're right <laughs> oh i gotta move up on this track i can't do anything else i gotta focus on these tracks i gotta move around this map i gotta go to all these cities <laughs> that's what you do that's true because i like doing that it's fun for me all right. So I had a couple honorable mentions. I was just sitting here thinking um, that Victoria Masterminds made me think um, a little bit of an engine builder. Because as you're building like your doomsday device, like you can trigger um, the pieces that you've already made to give you stuff. I don't know. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. To a, on a small scale, I think. A yeah. light. A yeah. light. But for sure, um, Fantastic Factory is um, definitely a good engine builder. You're trying to not only use factory cards, build cards. Um, and, and again, there's that I have to discard a card of the same type in order to pay for this, which is what I like about London. And then you're like, okay, do I want cards that are going to give me goods, give me extra dice? And then what am I going to do with them? How do I convert them into um, the good, I guess, give me extra resources? How can I convert them into the goods, which are actually points? Right, yeah. And I think that it's a really great engine builder. Um, I wish it were cuter, but... Oh, yeah. I like Fantastic Factories a lot. I think it's fun. Yeah, you would. I, I do like I it. Do. I do. The first time I played it, I, it did horribly. Um, but I liked it. And so I played it again. And I'm like, I got this figured out. Like, I made my engine work so much better the second time. But I... I can win Fantastic Factories, so I like it. Yeah, I can too. So I also like it. <laughs> I haven't played it for a while, but I think that, that there's that great tension because you're, you're thinking, oh, I want to get more of these resources, but getting more of them is only going to help you if you can turn them into goods, which are really the points and what ends like the game and give you the win. So it's like a great, I think it's a great balance to make that engine go. Yep. I agree. Uh, you had some other ones on here. Everdell. Yeah. Which we talked about. Uh, I think it could be considered an engine builder. Some people might call it a tableau builder. Because not every card that you have down there fires. Right. But also, um, it there are cards that work in, in certain seasons where you harvest. So then those kind of the green cards are then firing. And they can work off other people's cards. They can work off other cards within your actual tableau. You can get cards that are going to um, generate you points and things off of each other. You've got playing a certain type of card then allowing you to, you know, share spaces with other cards, get cards for free. I feel like that all has kind of that engine feel, but it is on a more limited basis for sure. A game that I think is almost pure engine really is Machi Koro, which I have played in a long time, probably because it really is a very simple game, 
but I think that there's something really great for intro gamers to play because it's rolling dice. And then you've got all the, it triggers um, the different billings that you've got in front of you. And so you're saying, what billings do I want to buy? What numbers are rolling? Um, what do I need? How do I um, make sure other people aren't getting all these resources and I'm not? And so you're trying to build a really good engine so that you can be able to build all the way up to those really high, the high number and high point cards to win the game. And very similarly to Machi Kuro is Catan, where you are placing your roads and your settlements so that when that number is rolled, you have an engine to generate the resource that you need to build more things, to build your city on rock and roll. You know, all of that kind of thing. That That's the Wheat engine. Nor. Wheat Nor. Build a city on Wheat Nor. Yeah, and the last one that we have done here is from Uwe. And, I mean, a lot of his kind of fall in this category, but Lahav. In this one, you're kind of building buildings um, to turn goods into other goods. You're building boats to ship those goods to somewhere to get some points. Uh, and you're just kind of using other people's buildings. They might be using your buildings. So you're trying to get the best buildings out that are going to benefit you and may also benefit other people to help their engine. So it's kind of like a an engine builder, but other people can use your engine, which is kind of weird, but... Yeah, I think this one fits. Well, and I think a lot of his games work that way, like Converna and Agricola. Like you are finding ways to generate the food you need, really at the heart of a lot of his games is feeding your people. And so you need to find an engine, something that will continually give you food, whether it's harvesting from the ground or, you know, oh, I can turn this wheat into bread or whatever so I can I can fish, so I can feed my people. Um, I think that's a key component for a lot of Uve games. And so there's a little bit of an engine builder to that. So those are just some mentions that came off. I know that there are other, like, really classic engine builders, but I honestly have not played them. When I was looking on BGG, I was like, I have never played Race for the Galaxy. I have never played Nations. Um, A lot of people have mentioned Splendor, which I do love that game. But I don't know. I I feel like in some ways I've outgrown it. Like I like Splendor. It has nostalgia for me because it's one of the first games I really loved um, and got me into like the more serious part hobby of this. But I'm just looking back on it fondly like I feel about, you know, Fanny Packs and JTT. I don't feel fondly about Fanny Packs. Well, I had one. It was hot pink and it had a radio in it. I think we all had one. (laughs) But, you know, like I, I... I didn't want to put it on this list because I'm like, well, yeah, I guess an engine builder, but for me, it doesn't give me that same thrill of like a really tense filled choice kind of engine builder like London. But those are the games that we thought about when we thought about our favorite engine builders. What are your favorite engine builders? You guys have probably played all the games that I haven't played. Where you want to fight me on Coimbra, go for it. Go to our Facebook page, or better yet, join our Facebook group, hashtag the Riveted. We would love to hear from you and talk to you. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, slip into our DMs. We are here to listen for you. And go to YouTube. I haven't done an unboxing in a while because we haven't got boxes in a while. I don't think. Um, nope, no boxes. Which is sad. So hopefully that will happen again soon, but Jason has a lot of awesome videos on there because my husband is amazing and he is a video machine. So... Just let us know about your favorite engine builders, and I'm always looking for a new good engine builder. I love that mechanic. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but I do like it. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's it for us. I hope you're having a safe and wonderful fourth if you're here in the States. Um, Otherwise, everywhere else, happy July 4, whatever day that means for you. Enjoy it. Bastille Day is coming up soon. We can celebrate that. Um, But, you know, be careful when you're lighting things on fire and when you're being close to other people with this pandemic. So um, that's all for me. I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming.
see? See, there needs to be a game.